Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. So it's, the, it's August of 2012. I felt like I was on top of the world. I felt a sense of home for the first time in my adult life. I had an amazing group of friends uh, through my work, through my faith community. The church that we had launched was getting close to hitting our three-year anniversary. And we were experiencing and walking alongside some amazing stories of Jesus transforming the lives of people. We often would pray in San Francisco as it is in heaven. And we were seeing change in our city through our community and other churches that started around the same time as we did, championing one another, often working together, uh, praying for one another in the work that we were doing. We had just brought our little girl home, uh, and we were really excited to introduce her to everyone, but in a few weeks. We wanted a few weeks together as a family, kind of in the quiet, um, to bond and to adjust to this new chaos that is parenthood. Then suddenly, everything changed. Elliot was four weeks old, and our world was utterly devastated. Um, Through a series of events over the course of a few weeks, we lost almost all relationships in our faith community. We made the painful decision to close the church just a few weeks shy of its three-year anniversary. Churches and organizations dropped us like a hot potato, like our failure, and I'm gonna do air quotes of failure, I don't feel like it was a failure, but it was branded failure. Um, Felt like it was contagious. So it was kind of like, ooh, don't get too close. Those that did try to help came with their assumptions of what we needed, um, but didn't always truly understand what we needed in that moment. Sometimes their help only hurt and alienated us more. The shame was crushing, the feeling of being alone, no longer being able to trust the motives of others as some took advantage of us in this vulnerable state. And that led me to shutting down and shutting out almost everybody. But I will say there were a few that stuck with us, that rallied around us, that sat in the UG with us. And for that, I will be eternally grateful. I can also say that in those days and weeks surrounding the chaos, I still felt deep within my bones, the goodness of God, that our story wasn't over, and that he was with us. It didn't mean that I didn't cry out. It didn't mean that I didn't scream. It didn't mean that I didn't ask why. I did all of those things and more, repeatedly, multiple times. And when months had passed, and I felt like the path forward still was really unclear, I dove into my worker bee mode, Um, my problem-solver mode, um, saying, well, I will find a path. I will create that way to help us be able to stay here. Um, If I just follow this formula, God will surely bless that. Um, You know, we felt that God had called us to this city, so obviously we need to stay here. Over the past three weeks, we've been exploring the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Aaron shared that as we pray, our Father reminds us that we will never walk alone. God is in our midst, 
and we are acknowledging his presence and that he is the God that is for all of us. Then Talissa walked us through the section, Hallowed Be Your Name, coming to our Father and pausing to bask in his beauty and kingship and revealing to us our distractions and what we place before him. She shared Psalm 104 as a passage that brings her out of herself and into his presence, and we walked through that together and experienced that as a community. We paused together to dwell in the attributes of God. And then last week, Hannah pointed us towards experiencing the prayer of your kingdom come, just as we did a moment ago, as an act of vulnerability, a willingness to be seen and known by God. Praying your kingdom come doesn't mean that we have to have all of the answers. We just know that without his kingdom, things are not as they are supposed to be. It is an act of hope, but not blind optimism, but to take steps towards a new world and invite it to inhabit us, to see what's possible. It's the mantra that I started probably, what, a year ago in my head after living in a space of isn't it awful land. I, a couple of years ago, said, this is now, I'm changing that isn't it awful mindset to see what's possible. True hope is not certainty, but knowing that God is with me in my pain and holding on to what we believe deep in our bones. God sits in the ug with us and wants us to sit in the ug with one another. Today, we look at your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, or as I call it, the ultimate trust fall. If any of you guys have ever done that before, you know, they did it in Mean Girls, where they said something and then you fall backwards and you trust that the people behind you are going to catch you. You may have done it at work, you know, team building experiences or at, you know, college orientation. These seem like the types of places where you do trust falls. And, and I think about that because as we talk about approaching God with the vulnerability of being known, like we talked about last week, prayer also requires humility and trust for us to be able to see things through a wider lens of his perspective, trusting that he will be there and trusting that he will catch us. So how do you fall backwards trusting God like this? How do you pray to God your will be done on earth as it is in heaven when it feels like everything has fallen apart as you wait for those lab results or see another story of a mass shooting when cranes fall and, clip, and cliffs collapse. Where do you find peace when our prayers feel like they've fallen on deaf ears? When we know God could have healed their bodies but instead we are saying goodbye. When we experience the heartbreak of the unraveling of a relationship the betrayal by someone we loved, the loss of our dream job, when we cry out to save our planet as smoke fills the skies and chokes out the beauty of our creation, of his creation. In his book, I Asked for Wonder, a book that Aaron often quotes, Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote, we do not step out of the world when we pray. We merely see the world in a different setting. Prayer takes the mind out of narrowness and self-interest and enables us to see the world in the mirror of the holy. For when we commit ourselves to the extreme opposite of ego, we can behold the situation from the aspect of God. 
So when we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it means that we are acknowledging his presence, his kingship. We are inviting him to transform us, to see the world, if only for a moment, through his eyes. I often think that, though, that these can be some of the hardest words to say because it means that we are relinquishing control. It means knowing that God may not answer the way that we wanted, and not in our timeline. It's acknowledging that he is God, and we are not. And I don't know about you, but my type A, problem solver, helper achiever personality has to really fight through a lot of stuff to be able to surrender like that and really mean it, and to really create the space for God's transformation. There's a reason I think that God wanted me to do this sermon whenever Aaron was like, what do you want to do? This one kept coming up. I think there's probably a lesson in that. I think God had some stuff to share with me. And I definitely fought it off for quite a bit to put this thing together uh, and had to really sit in this and get comfortable in this to be able to put pen to paper for today. Jesus came to earth to restore the brokenness in our relationships with God, ourselves, each other, and his creation. Jesus came to bring heaven to earth and laments with us at the brokenness around us, but through him brings the renewal of all things. Aaron shared a few weeks back ago the story of our friends from college that tragically lost their nine-year-old daughter to cancer just two months after diagnosis. As I read their updates filled with hope and pointing others to Jesus in the midst of their most painful and uncertain chapter of their lives, their certainty in the goodness of God and always pointing others to Jesus, I remember at times thinking to myself, how can they do that? I don't think I could respond that way if I was in the situation. It, and, and I think sometimes I also felt like maybe it was just blind optimism. And, and today, probably in the last few days as I've been talking about this and preparing for this, I recognized the difference was the way that they've been able to carry themselves, their family, their friends through this painful story was that this was a family who had experienced and was living in the transformation of Jesus. They were praying to see this experience through his eyes and feeling his presence and strength through it all. In the weeks since saying goodbye to their sweet warrior princess, I'm gonna cry probably, they shared this recent update that captures for me what it means to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and living in the pain of not yet. I told Aaron this morning I felt a little uncomfortable at first reading this update, but then I recognized and I realized that they're sharing this because this is part of sharing Kala's story. This is part of sharing how Jesus has transformed their lives. Sorry. And so I hope that this will bless you as much as it's blessed me. This is written by her mother. I am in constant dialogue with Jesus. Oh, she would have loved her new room, Father. She never got to see it. My broken heart mourns to God. And I hear him say, I got her a new home and a new room too. 
And I know she's exploring it all now in wonder and excitement and joy. I go to sleep every night clutching callous giraffe stuffed animal. I trace the same grooves her little fingers did every single day from when she was a baby until the night she left to go to heaven. And I wake every morning to the same inescapable weight on my chest, the same numbness in the back of my head. My very first thought is a wail to God. I just can't, I can't do this. I can't live like this without her, I can't. And I hear him say, I know, you can't, but I will help you, I will sustain you, I will carry you. I'm aware of the distinct change in the battlefield. Oh, my sweet Kala has been a true warrior. She has been so trusting, so strong, so faithful, and so, so, so brave. I am inspired by her fight. I am grateful for the victory she has in Jesus. She has won, free at last. And still for me, for us, this battle rages on. I am heartbroken. I have never felt grief like this in my life. I have no way to escape this pain. Every precious memory of my charming and vibrant nine-year-old beauty is both a catalyst of praise to God for her presence and a deep wail of loss for her absence. The accuser attempts to snare my thoughts. I can see him wipe guilt on the walls of my heart for each moment I've been distracted, busy, short-sighted, moments I've missed out on the magic of simply being with my precious child. The doubt churns deep in my stomach. What ifs and if onlys rear their heads. And yet, I know the character of my God. I recognize his voice. I feel his truth. I rely on his protection. I trust his ways. I claim his victory. The one and only thing that can impede God's pain, good plan is my own sinful free will. And I am determined to give the enemy no room to derail the story of praise and beauty that my God is making in the middle of this chasm of pain. Jesus will not waste even one of my tears, and I will offer them all to him, trusting in his promise to one day wipe them all away. Only he can make something beautiful out of all of this awful. That's his specialty. I can never express how grateful I have been for all of your faithful prayers. I know you fight for us. They are needed and felt. We have had no lack of faith in a miracle. We know that God could have healed Kala at any moment and displayed his unlimited power. We know he could have raised her up even after her body was cold. We were still whispering, even now, just say the word Jesus and she will live, standing next to her white casket. There has been no lack of faith in that kind of a miracle. But to be honest, the idea that he can somehow redeem all of this pain that I carry, this much heartache, this mountain of grief, that kind of miracle takes so much more faith for me to believe. That kind of miracle is crazy, beyond belief, impossible. But my God is the God of impossible. So I keep fighting, trusting, following my Kala's brave example, and our family will celebrate the evidence of God's impossible miracle in each and every story that is shared with us about how Kala's life points them to Jesus. The battle has changed, but the outcome is not. Christ's sacrifice and love has won it all. O oh, come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for walking with us still and all for the evidence of the miracle you've shared. The reason I share that is because this is 
This is a story of a family that is continually pointing us to Jesus. This is the prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those times when we don't understand it, when we don't understand the mystery of Jesus, but we pray for God to expand our view, even if for a moment, and not let the darkness overtake us. Throughout my life, there have been two passages of scripture that I've clung to. These words again and again remind me that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the pain of this world has been overcome as we pray on earth as it is in heaven. We believe in God's redemptive power of healing and that as we are transformed, we are pointing others to see God in their midst, just like Ben and Crystal are doing in messages like I read today. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the field yield no food, the flock be caught off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. That is one that in those times of chaos I cling to. When everything feels like it's falling apart, the Lord my God is my strength. The Lord my God is my salvation. When I can say I felt it deep in my bones in one of those darkest, loneliest points, it was verses like this. The other verse that I cling to is in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. There was a band that I loved in high school, Sixpence None the Richer, that also did this song. Um, it's called Trust. Kind of seems like it's been my life verse. And uh, one of the things that they say, they include this refrain, child, do not grow weary with the troubles of this world. I have overcome. That's a refrain that I often say in those times when I feel like I don't know what to say. It's that constant reminder of God's presence. The months and years after my, my world became rubble were really challenging. I often felt seasons of walking through the desert, but never abandoned by God. But I certainly sat in my own narrow self-interest, asking why this happened, at times falling into dark spaces. Over the past few years, as I began to experience the transformative prayer of Jesus, I began to find the courage to dream again, the vulnerability to trust, and to find reconciliation with a few of the people who had been part of the painful chapter of the close of the church. And today I stand here in a new city, in a new faith community, that even includes a small remnant of people who were part of ICON in San Francisco, together allowing God to transform our lives as individuals and together to bring windows of heaven to those around us. That was what the name of ICON, the church in San Francisco, meant. Nowen wrote, Henry Nowen wrote, I wonder if fear is not our biggest obstacle to prayer. When we enter his presence and start to sense the huge reservoir of fear in us, we want to run away to the many distractions offered to us. Last week after service, I experienced a prayer labyrinth. A few of us went and did that. It was my first time participating in a labyrinth, and I honestly thought I could get out of it, playing the Elliot card, being like, oh, well, I've got Elliot. Like, I gotta watch Elliot, so like, oh, clearly I, like, I, can't, I can't do it. And uh, Aaron, in his high invitation and high challenge, said, nope, nope, we can make this work. 
And I know that I was fearful of what would happen. I was fearful of sitting in the stillness and in the silence. So for those of you that aren't aware, the way a labyrinth works, and they're, they're all over the city in public spaces, it's like this giant maze. And so as you walk in, you follow this path, and you just kind of get lost in it as you're wandering along. And that's the time for you to just kind of dump it all out. Say whatever you need to say until you get into the middle. And once you get into the center, you just kind of sit or stand and just sit in silence and just let God pour over you. And from there, you stay there for as long as you want, and then you follow the path out, continuing to just listen to what God has to say. Again, that was really scary for me because I was like, well, what was he going to say? Like, oh, what if I don't hear anything? Like, or what if he says something that I don't want to do? Or, you know, whatever. And as I was walking, I was holding hands with Elliot the entire time walking in, leading, leading Elliot and just crying out to God, why? Pleading for her safety, for her well-being, for a break in some of the chaos that sometimes really seems like too much for a seven-year-old. Um, my desire to protect her from this world and that strange parental tension of knowing that she needs to start having her independence and experiencing but wanting to keep her in that safe bubble for as long as I can. And as we got into the center, and I had, I, and I had to do the opposite of what feels comfortable for me, sit still and be quiet, I felt and heard God saying over me, I've got her and I've got you. Trust me. And he just kept saying it over and over and over again. And I didn't think about this until I was writing this, about this experience. As we were walking out, I wasn't holding her hands anymore. She was walking ahead of me. And I let her walk ahead of me while God just kept saying, I've got her and I've got you. Trust me. I'm reminded that in some of the messiest parts of my life, I have felt the words I heard last Sunday in that labyrinth deep in my bones. That I've got you. And that my story of redemption and the redemption of the world is still being actively written. And how I am still being transformed by Jesus. In Philip Yancey's book, The Question That Never Goes Away, he writes, far, far more often, God works through changed people to change history. We cry out for God to do something for us, whereas God prefers to work within and alongside us. The German poet, poet Rainer, Rainer, I don't know, Maria Rilke wrote, were it possible, we might look beyond the reach of our knowing, then perhaps we would endure our griefs with even greater trust than our joys, for they are the moments when something new has entered into us, something unfamiliar. Everything within us steps back, a silence ensues, and something new stands in the center. When things don't make sense, or everything feels out of control, shift your suspicion that God is cruel or unfair to the assurance that God is protecting and preparing us. Trusting that God writes the story of completion through the death and resurrection of Jesus, even if we don't see it. Praying for God's will to be done is a trust fall. It's an exercise in patience for the not yet. To remember that in the silence and in the waiting, God is active, present, and still at work in our midst. Our prayers acknowledge his presence, 
even when the answers don't make sense, and when we believe and we believe that he is mourning with us for the brokenness of this world in anticipation for the day when the story will be finished. So what I want to ask you today is what is that thing or things that you need to ask God to help you see from his vast and expansive perspective instead of in our own narrowness and self-interest? What is the prayer that you're afraid to pray? What is the thing that you keep trying to use formulas to get God to do what you want or leaning on your own strength? I'm going to ask you to take a moment to think about what that thing is that you've been holding on to. And in a moment, there's going to be a prayer on the screen. And what I ask you to do is once you have whatever that thing is, I want you to put your hands together in tight little fists. And as you pray this prayer that you see on the screen, and you can pray it silently, at some point, my hope is that you can open your hands and release that over to God. And we will close out in that prayer together. Um, and hopefully this is an opportunity for you to turn over in that vulnerability space and that trust fall with him. Heavenly Father, I want to process everything I face through the filter of your love. I know you love me, but sometimes it's just hard to understand the circumstances that come my way. I find myself consumed with trying to figure things out rather than looking for your perspective and trusting you. When my circumstances and my own weary heart beg me to believe that you have forgotten me, help me to remember you are still very much at work, even in the silence, even in the unknown, even when I can't see anything on the horizon. I want to trust you more and more each day, knowing not only are all your ways perfect, but your timing is perfect too. God says he will never leave you and you will never walk alone. When we pray to see the world through his eyes, it also gives us the opportunity to walk alongside others. When we as a community say, you'll never walk alone, we know this isn't always going to be an easy task, but we trust that through Jesus, he will give us the strength, courage, and vulnerability to come alongside one another, not with answers, but to sit in the ug with one another, to share windows into heaven with those we come into contact with, if even for a moment. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we know you are good. We know that you have overcome, and we know that you are broken by this world just as much as we are broken in this world. We pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for the, for the yearnings of our hearts to see the world through your eyes, to give us a grander perspective in a way that we can help bring your healing to those around us. And it's in your son's name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. 
If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.